Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're online or at our sites, I just know it's going to be a significant day. Over the last couple of weeks um, in my prayers, concluding prayers in the morning, I have ended all of my morning prayers with the very same words, God, surprise me today. And every day he has. And I want you to know that I prayed for you this morning that God would surprise you in a little way or a great way with his goodness. So I want to encourage you just to pay attention and look for it today. I'm going to conclude today a little two-part series that we've called DNA, DNA speaking specifically to Westwood's practice um, around baptism in the Lord's Supper. Every church practices baptism in the Lord's Supper, but its meaning is different. Its practice is different in various churches. So two weeks ago, I spoke about the DNA of baptism. Today, I want to speak about our DNA as it relates to the Lord's Supper. But I want to take you back first to February 7th, 2021, in our worship services, which was a communion Sunday. And on that Sunday, there was a 10-year-old boy, Joey, with his mom, who were with us in that service. And while I was giving instruction around the meaning of communion, Joey looked at his mom. And his mom looked at Joey. They were having a moment together, and she could tell in his eyes that he wanted to receive communion. And she wanted him to receive communion, but wasn't sure that he was ready. So after the service, they got in their car, they left the campus, and they were speaking about that moment. It became clear to the mom that he was indeed ready. So she turned the car around, made her um, way back to the campus, and I was still here. And she found me with some questions, wanting clarity around the readiness of Joey to come to the table. And some of you probably have questions around your own readiness. And I want to come back to um, Joey and his story. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story later. But first, right now, I want to step into this picture of the Lord's Supper and call out the big idea. Because really the Lord's Supper is about Jesus offering himself to you and to the world and us offering ourselves to him. It's a beautiful gift. It's an offering. So I want you to prepare for this Lord's Supper as we come to the bread and the table at the conclusion of our supper with this personal question. As you entered into this space, either online or at our campuses, did you enter with any burdens or baggage that is weighing you down? Now, certainly you did. Um, the reality is, the fact is, that each of us carries some kind of burden. Those Things that are like baggage, they weigh us down and it could be regrets over something that you've said or done or maybe something that was said by someone else about you or done to you by somebody else and there's a hurt that goes with that. It might be an elevated concern or anxiety related to your health or to your financial well-being or to relationships that you're in. It could just be guilt and shame that you struggle with. If you don't think you have any baggage, well, there's a name for that kind of baggage, and it's called denial. The reality is we all have baggage, and we're humbled by it, and you've entered into this space with some of that baggage. I've had the opportunity in preparation for today to name mine. I can tell you specifically I have more than one, and I've put name, a name to each one of them. Um, you have your own. You have your burdens. You know what it is, and God knows what it is, 
I want to invite you to try to name, get real specific about the burdens. It might be coming to you right now. You may need to just sit with it for a few moments, but I want you to name your burdens, the baggage that weighs you down in preparation for coming to this table and partaking of the bread and the cup. My goal today is to not simply teach about the DNA, the, the meaning of baptism, the way we practice it at West. No, my primary goal today is to create a space to allow you to have some time to deal with the burdens and the baggage that weighs you down in the presence of the Lord. That's our main goal today because when we come to the bread and the cup, we're really coming to the grace of Jesus. And it's a grace that sets us free from these burdens, from this baggage that can hold us back and hold us down. And and it is about our redemption and it's about living a free life in the grace of God who gives us this new life. So I want to invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It has an important word to speak about burdens and baggage. And we read in uh, verse 17 these words. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. So he's kind of starting on a good note. I mean, there's exhortation right away. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be difference among you to show which of you have God's approval. He's saying, you guys like to divide yourself into little tribes of your favorite people. Um, people that you like to be with, people who think the way you think, maybe even look the way you think, and you're drawn to that given tribe. And then you find yourselves, without even realizing it, distancing yourself from, from people of another tribe who don't look like you or think like you, and all of a sudden there's walls between you or you're ignoring each other, and you're doing it as you're even coming um, for the Lord's Supper. So in this case, it's the division that has to do with the Lord's Supper that he's calling them out about. And what is he specifically calling them out about? Take a good look at uh, verse 20. So then, when you come together... It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. And as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the, the, the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? I just want to pause there because wherever you find the word church in the New Testament, what you're finding there um, is that it's a word that doesn't speak to church buildings. It's always speaking to people. And so he's saying, do you despise the people of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. He's saying, I mean, what are you doing? Do you realize what you're doing at the Lord's Supper? And so Paul gives some details about what makes him so upset as they've come to take the bread and the cup. And I just want to say that the concern is not about frequency. So let me just pause for a moment and speak about the DNA of Westwood in terms of our frequency. We practice the Lord's Supper once a month. Typically, it's the first Sunday of the month. And on rare special occasions like Monday, Thursday, or other special events. The scripture does not actually specify how frequently we would partake of the bread and the cup, but some of you come from traditions by which you would do it every Sunday in every worship gathering. Some of you would do it in every gathering that you came together as the body of Christ. But there's freedom in this, I think, from the scripture. And then in this passage, Paul says, when you come together, he repeats that phrase, 
because there's something to be noted here. And that's the DNA of Westwood as well. We practice the Lord's Supper when we come together. It's as the church gathers together, so we don't advocate for our youth ministries having communion at retreats or for small groups to have communion in the intimacy of their homes, that it's an expression that we practice when we come together as the church of Christ. So it's not a concern about frequency that Paul has here, but it is a concern about purpose. They have totally botched the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and he calls them out. In fact, he's absolutely ticked about this. And he calls out three specific things that you can see easily here. First of all, that some were careless in eating and drinking. That some were like indulging in a seven-course meal in their own private suppers in their, their own given homes. They were feasting to the end that something was happening. They, they had not set Jesus apart that the Lord's Supper was to be about the bread and the cup, but it just got mixed in with this big feast that they were all eating and partaking of. I'm not even sure that Jesus was invited um, in light of what Paul says here. It's definitely not a priority to elevate the name of Jesus. And so we find in this given text that they have come together for their private supper meetings, and he's telling them, go home for those private supper meetings. And when you come together, you celebrate the Lord's Supper, the simplicity of the bread and the cup that gets elevated over and against every expression of any meal that we would have. Secondly, he says they didn't wait for each other. That is, they didn't have church buildings, um, so usually it was the wealthy in the community of faith that would open up their homes, and so you have these house churches. There's a house church movement taking place all across the United States today. Usually it's 10, uh, 40, or 50 people who could gather in these homes of the wealthy, but also when they gathered, what would happen? There would be a favoritism of those who were hosts of the gathering to invite their friends, their tribe. Their, their own people to come first. They arrived first and they didn't wait for the others to come so that they could do it together. They did it in the fragmented way of the people whom they were most comfortable with. So some went ahead before the others even arrived. And then third, you could see some were included and some were not. That some indulge and some drank excessively in this gathering. I mean, they're partying it up and Paul's just saying, enough, man, you have lost the meaning of this altogether. And that those who arrived later oftentimes had little or nothing. And you put yourself in the shoes of somebody, maybe a slave who had worked all day long because they had to work every day and they got there later in the day and here there'd be nothing for them. How would you feel in that given moment? You would feel like you don't belong. You would feel isolated, even alienated, maybe even an outcast as you were coming to celebrate the table, the, the Lord's Supper. Just the DNA comment here because at Westwood, uh, we wanna make it clear that everybody is included. That is, you don't have to be a member of Westwood. You don't even have to be a regular tender of Westwood. You simply need to have faith in Christ. And if you have faith in Christ, you wanna come to the table. We welcome you to this table. I also want to um, call out in our own DNA and practice coming from this passage is we get the same meal. Everybody gets the same. So nobody gets more than the other. And it's a simple expression that we do together when we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup. Well, then Paul, he relates what Jesus himself said about the meaning of the bread and the cup. So he's exhorting, but now he's teaching and correcting, and we find in verse 23 these words. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, 
on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're remembering that the Lord is gonna come again. We're gonna remember all that he has done in this journey. I think this passage is so cool. It is so helpful and uplifting for us. Paul is simply reminding them of the story of Jesus' last meal with his friends and his followers. When Jesus broke a piece of the bread and he lifted up and said, this is my body that is given for you. He's our sustenance. He's the bread of life. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he lifts up the cup and says, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. And he lifts it and do this in remembrance of me. You'll notice something at Westwood in the expression of coming to the bread and to the cup at the conclusion of our services. We lift the cup almost as in a toast in honor to the Lord. And it's a unique expression for us. And it actually happened in our days when we were worshiping in the high school. It was a communion Sunday. And all I can tell you is when it came to the experience of communion, um, there was an encounter that I had personally in the grace of God. I hadn't planned for it. It was just in the moment I was overwhelmed by the grace and the beauty of Jesus and just wanted all of us to be sure we took a moment to lift high the cup and to honor him. We've been lifting high the cup at the conclusion of our communion experience ever since that um, time so long ago. And it is a worthy thing to honor the Lord, to toast his name, to remember all that he's done on our behalf. I suppose you could ask the question, well, specifically, how do we actually encounter Jesus? Because throughout church history, we've applied it to mean different things. Some of you grew up in a church tradition that believes that the substance of the bread and the cup are actually changed into the substance of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That was introduced to the church in the 12th century and given the name of transubstantiation. And some of you grew up in a tradition that believes that the body and the blood of Christ are actually present if, in and with and under the elements of the bread and the cup. That was introduced during the Protestant Reformation and it was given the name consubstantiation. And I just want to say that that has been part of church history. Those are interpretations that we do not um, practice at Westwood or expressions that we see as our view. Our specific DNA is simply this. We believe that the bread and the cup are symbols of the body and the blood of Christ and an opportunity to encounter, yes, to be nourished by him by remembering his coming um, into this world, into the mess of our backyard, our own personal lives, of living in our midst, of dying and being buried and then rising again to new life so that we would have new life as well. See, it was the Jewish Passover meal that Jesus tells um, his friends and explains the meaning of his death um, to his followers and to us even today. He did not give them a theology lecture and he did not give them a three-point sermon to explain them. He gave them a meal or a piece of a meal to communicate what this story is about that we would keep doing until the day that he returns again. See, he's referring all of this story back to the Passover meal and that Passover meal spoke of the burdened people of God who were enslaved to the Egyptians. 
And what God is wanting to do is to set them free from that enslavement, from that bondage that they had by visiting his justice on the Egyptian oppressors. And so God instructs them to take the blood of a slain lamb and put it on the doorsteps that the Spirit of God would pass over those homes and spare all of the children of God from his judgment and from death so that they could be spared and that they could be set free so that they could be redeemed. And that's why the name Passover was given to it. So Jesus chose the Passover meal to explain that his death would accomplish a new kind of exodus, a new kind of liberation that would set us free from our burdens and the baggage that weighs us down, the sin that holds us back. It reminds us that Jesus comes into the brokenness of a burdened world, that he becomes the Passover lamb, that he will shed his blood as a covering over our sins so we could be set free, so that we could live a new life with the freedom of his presence and provision for our every need. So that that baggage that weighs us down would no longer have that effect on us. It's just such a fantastic message, so simply communicated through the bread and the cup. And so we all come to Jesus um, on this level playing field. There should not be division among us. We're all coming to the foot of the same cross. And this is why Paul is so upset. He's saying that you took what was intended to unite the body of Christ and you divided it. And he's saying this is not acceptable. You've separated the rich from the poor. You've included and excluded people in the journey. See, grace does not show favoritism. I mean, just take hold of that. Grace does not show favoritism. I mean, someone really could say amen to that declaration. It is a beautiful thing to know that grace does not show favoritism. That no matter who you are or what you've done, we all come to the foot of the same cross and we experience an encounter with the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gift. See, Jesus himself is the focus of the Lord's Supper, of the bread and the cup that we partake in. And when the bread touches our lips, it does something really beautiful. It communicates the very love of God that would be willing to come into the mess of my burdensome uh, and baggage world. And when we have that cup come to our lips, we're mindful of a willing, voluntary um, sacrifice of a Jesus' blood that would bring a covering over our sins so that we could be right with him and free in our everyday life and journey. He sets us free. What a gift this is. Well, Paul continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse 27 and 29 with some pretty strong words. He says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment of themselves. And you go, whoa, that, that, is, a, that is a very stiff statement and it's loaded um, with weight for us to take into consideration. And I fear that for most Christians, we have just deeply misunderstood and misapplied what Paul was saying here. And that this misunderstanding has had the effect of distorting um, Grace and our understanding of grace, particularly as it relates to the bread and the, 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 the cup of our Lord, his body and his blood that is shed on our behalf. 
So what Paul is not talking about here is our individual moral status as we come to the bread and the cup. That is, it's not hard for us to think that I, I'm unworthy. I feel unworthy. I feel guilty. I mean, I've just blown so many things in the course of this last year. Uh, maybe even this last week or last night or maybe even this morning. I am so unworthy. Why could I ever come and partake of the bread and the cup? That's how we feel. I, I don't want to drink judgment on myself. And that's how many of us have interpreted this pas passage through the years. And so we avoid taking the bread and the cup because we feel unworthy. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? That sometimes you just are so in touch with your unworthiness that you choose not to come because you've not properly examined yourself thinking that that would be necessary in order to become worthy to take the bread and the cup. And so we think it means that I'm supposed to examine myself, that I'm supposed to pray and maybe beat myself up over all the lame things that I say and do all of the time. And then maybe, maybe I can come and take the bread and take the cup and maybe, just maybe, the grace of God would meet me and uh, show some favor as I come to the table. But this is absolutely not what Paul was saying in this passage. So I wanna bring a correction here. Does he say, therefore, if you are unworthy to eat the bread and drink the cup, you are eating and drinking the judgment upon yourself? If you are unworthy, is that what he says? No, he says, those who take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. No, the question is, what is the unworthy manner that is in reference to his words here? He is talking about how they practiced the Lord's Supper in such a way that divided and not united the body as they came together. It was a division issue. How the wealthy Christians would come and celebrate first and in abundance and leave behind the poorer Christ followers who are part of that faith community. And it's atrocious to Paul that God does not take kindly to his people um, for humiliating the poor who are in our midst or anyone else in our midst in the name of Jesus. It's unacceptable. It's contrary to the very grace of God that allows us to come to the foot of the cross, to the same playing field. This is the unworthy manner of the taking of the bread and the cup. He is not talking about our moral standing. After all, can I just say this? Does anybody right now feel like you're worthy to come and partake of the bread and the cup? Does anybody feel like, no, none of us feel like we're worthy. That's the point of it. It's precisely why we need to come and partake of the bread and the cup. No, this meal is a meal about grace. That's what he wants us to see here. It's about how Jesus comes to the rich and the poor, to the Jew and the Gentile, to the Roman and the Greek, to every little boy and every little girl and every grown man and every grown woman, to the slave and to the free, he comes to you and to me and he speaks grace. He wants us to get in touch with his grace, this, this mercy of God, this favor of God that has come in the person of Jesus Christ to give us life. And so he meets us in the midst of our brokenness and to carry the burdens of our baggage. That's what he does. See, we're all unworthy to take the bread and the cup. That's the point. And that's why we need to take it. And that's why we welcome you to take it because this meal is a meal about grace and we are in so need of grace. So we can easily hijack this moment and make it about ourselves. You know, if I could just clean myself up, if I could get my act together, then I might be counted worthy to come before Jesus and partake of the bread and the cup. And maybe he'll look again uh, upon me with favor and with mercy. And then I'll eat and drink. 
No, that's religion. That's religion. It puts our behavior at the center. But the meal is about grace. And it puts Jesus at the center, not us or our behavior. This is the beauty of it. In fact, if you have a twinge in your heart right now and you think, you know, I I don't think I should come. I've just blown it so much this past year, this past week in my life. I am so unworthy. I don't think I'm worthy to come. That's exactly why you need to come because you need the grace that is God's provision to set you free of your burdens and all that baggage that weighs you down so you can have the new life that you are most longing for. Come, that's his call for us. So does grace come to us so that we can stay broken? I mean, that's a fair question. That the baggage would just keep us down so we just come here? No, see, something is happening here. There is an encounter with the grace of God. When we eat and drink, we actually taste of the love of Christ. And when we drink, we're experiencing the beauty of his blood shed for for us so that, that we have an experience of his covering, that we have an understanding that the spirit of God will give us what we need to deal with the burdens that we have and a change process begins. A transformation starts to unfold. We're reminded, that's why we keep coming to it, how much we need grace that brings about this birth of transformation into our lives. So, back to the question. Did you come into this experience um, today with a burden or burdens or baggage? Well, of course you did. And you know that you did. And the Lord's Supper, my friends, is simply a reminder to us that Jesus is alive and that his grace is there for us. The bread and the cup speak grace to you who need forgiveness. The bread and the cup bring comfort to you who are so full of sorrow. The bread and the cup bring challenge when you find yourself complacent in your life. The bread and the cup bring hope when you feel hopeless. The bread and the cup speak life to you when you feel like you cannot go on another day. The bread and the cup speak to the little voices in your head that start to say to you, I'm just such a jerk, I'm so unworthy, I can't believe I said that, I cannot believe I did that, and we start to just drown in our own feeling of unworthiness, and that voice inside our head keeps speaking, and we find that the bread in the cup gets taken over by the beauty of Jesus' voice. So when we partake of the bread and the cup, you can hear the whisper of Jesus, that we need to take the bread and the cup because we need grace. We need to hear his voice, a voice that says, you are of great value. A voice that says, you are loved more than you are currently in touch with. Come to me and see the love that I have for you. That's the invitation. We need to take the bread and the cup because we need grace. And we need grace because we need Jesus. So that Sunday when Joey and his mom came back, He wanted to receive his communion, his first communion. And the question came about, was he ready? And his mom felt yes, and Joey did too. And so we sat down and I shared the gospel and the meaning of the bread and the cup as I've even explained to you. And we were seated right here in the main worship center in our Chanhassen campus on the terrace side in the very first chair. We were both sitting there and I said to Joey, Do you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life and to live for him? And he said, yes. And I said, then you are ready to receive the bread and the cup. 
And he has been receiving the bread and the cup in communion since then. You have to be discerning. We don't have an age at Westwood by which we say is the right time. It's not prescriptive. It's about readiness. So as parents, you want to help them come to know the person of Jesus because that is their readiness to come to the table and to eat and drink of the bread and the cup of our Lord to receive communion. And that's the invitation I want to give to you today as well. I want to invite you to come to feel welcome because we know we're unworthy and therefore we come because the grace of God meets us and we're able to bring those burdens and the baggage right before his presence. Joey said yes, and I pray that you would say yes as we come to the table even now. And in a moment, we'll do that. But before so doing, I want to give you a moment. I want to give you a quiet space. My hope is that during this message, you've had time to name that burden or burdens or the baggage that weighs you down. And that you would take a moment of silence in a quiet space and that you would usher in um, the presence of the Lord, that burden, that you would name it, just visualize taking it at the foot of the cross, whatever it is, place it there and let his grace wash over you and let him infuse you with hope. So I want to invite you to do that. And uh, in so doing, I want to invite you to stand and let's pray together. So Jesus, we come to the table of grace where we remember how you offered yourself with love to come into the mess of our humanity and our own personal world, to carry our burdens, to take upon yourself the baggage that weighs us down, to lift us up and to set us free. And so as we come to this table, we receive you as Savior and Lord. And we offer ourselves and our burdens to you. So with your eyes, look upon us. With your ears, hear our confession as we name the burdens, the baggage that weighs us down. And with your mighty right hand, lift us up, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, just take a moment of silence, of quiet. Name your burdens quietly usher them before the presence of the Lord and receive his grace.